The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's a Monday edition of PFTOT. I say this every time. We have this extra show set aside for topics we either didn't get to during PFT Live or that we would like to talk about some more. But in some cases, there are developments as to stories we talked about that actually constitute things we haven't discussed at all, even though we've been all over the topic. The Antonio Brown helmet saga. Chris, during the show, Ian Rappaport of the NFL tweeted this. Raiders receiver Antonio Brown may not be yet out of options. My understanding is two more helmets, same shut air advantage that he prefers, are being tested for possible use. They were made in different years than his original one tested, a 2014 and a 2010. My reaction to that, it doesn't matter. In testing the air advantage last week, they came to the conclusion that that helmet is not permitted. You can go out and try to find other shut air advantages. It doesn't matter. That helmet's off the list. Here's what I think is happening, and this is the benefit of having reporters who are on your payroll. You can push stuff like this out there because it makes you look like you're being fair. You're being reasonable. Hey, we're testing... Hey, you want to we're bring us a shot more. We're just we'll see if they're going to work. We're trying we're to do anything with yeah. this guy. Right, we're, yeah, right. We're bending over back. Yeah. We'll gladly fail as many shut air advantage helmets <laughs> yeah, right. as he can show up with. Yeah. It's so obvious that's what they're doing here. They're not going to pass one of these helmets. This isn't going to be the way out of the box. This is about the NFL setting itself up in the court of public opinion. And also, if there's another grievance, they don't want to get any tough questions about whether or not they tested his specific preferred models that he found no no they 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 tested them all and we gave everything a fair shake and they all failed sorry don't blame us yeah no it it certainly seems that way definitely seems propaganda ish uh as far as that's concerned and again listen I understand the NFL messed up I they are they obviously have realized that that's why they closed this loophole um is it fair to Antonio Brown no not completely but we have to look at it from this standpoint too for the NFL, I mean, oh, okay. You know, how is it going to look if they look like they kind of bent the rules or didn't close some loophole that they should have have closed, right? And Antonio Brown gets to wear his shut air advantage helmet from 2011 or whatever year one that would have been legal, and then he goes over the middle and gets a bad concussion during the year. What is the NFL going to say then? Is Antonio Brown going to hold the NFL liable? Now that he's, they let me wear this helmet that's not actually didn't pass the test. Why did they let me do that? You know, so th- th- we also have to take that into account that the NFL is in a tough spot here, especially with the magnitude and just the attention around this to where they have to pr- protect themselves legally as well. Hey, Chris. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, but I'm going to turn it back around on cool. you. Okay, what had happened? What would what would have happened last year if Tom Brady had suffered a serious concussion wearing a helmet model that had been banned by the league, but he got a one year grace period, yeah, just like Aaron Rodgers and others. Yeah. Same argument. That's her, you have sure. an unsafe helmet yeah. that you've determined should not be worn, but we're going to let you wear it for one more year so you can get used to you know whatever your new reality is going to be after you can no longer wear the helmet model you want to wear. So that's again for every. This is a great example of what happens in these 
settings where for everything the NFL says, there's a response. Yeah, right. For everything Antonio Brown says, there's a response. And I think he just needs to file another grievance and hope that the arbitrator, who is neutral and independent, supposedly, will say, you know what? You guys kind of screwed him here. You, 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 there was a loophole, and then you clumsily tried to close it, and you're not giving him the one-year grace period to get accustomed to some other helmet like you did with others. Let him wear the helmet for one more year, and that could be the biggest victory but, he can but hope for. But just to All argue right. that, we think he might have had a one-year grace period, though, because he knew last No, he didn't. Well, he, no. so, so he you're didn't not have a grace period. period. Okay. No. Okay, fine. No, last year was the 10th year of the helmet that he wore. That's where, that's where these issues get confused. He had a helmet that was more than 10 years old that could not be recertified by Noxie. Noxie is willing to recertify the shut air advantage helmets he found that are less than 10 years old. This isn't about yes, Noxie saying... Yes, but he saying, still knew that as of last week, he still thought he was on to, no. on to a new helmet. So, like, didn't he have... He, right, a, right. A, right, new, a, right. A new shut air advantage that's less than 10 years old. That's the point. Well, and, even and again, before that, though, Mike, before all of that, he still knew that he uh, – that's why he missed OTAs and walked out of the locker room seven different times because they were telling him you have to wear a new helmet until they found this loophole. So they can argue that they kind of gave him a grace period year either way, but he found a loophole to then – They didn't give him a, they didn't give him okay, a grace period. Okay. He's never gotten – no, because his helmet model wasn't banned until okay. they rushed to ban it last week. My, my point is this. Yeah. And, and we, we didn't have – this is one of the benefits of doing this because we don't have people telling us to go to break. Right. Um, if he had, when he was drafted by the Steelers, 2010, on his way in, equipment manager, hey, I, I like the shutter advantage. Get me a brand-new shutter advantage. And they get him one that was made in 2010. We wouldn't know about any of this right now, right? Because the shutter advantage that he's wearing would be less than 10 years old. Noxie recertifies it. It's not prohibited. The guy was on the freaking cover of Madden last year. This shut air advantage is still being used in plain sight. Nobody bothered to notice. It's only because it became an issue that the NFL is like, well, now we have to test the shut air advantage. And sorry, Antonio, it fails. That's like at, at, a, at a basic level of fairness. That's what bothers me about this. People ask me, why do you care about it? Because I feel like the guy's getting screwed here. I think it's ludicrous to consider not playing football in any helmet that is acceptable for $30 million over the next two years. And I'd like to think he's smart enough to realize that. And I, I do think there's a certain element of, hey, this is the first time he's ever been told no in his life, and that's why he's so pissed off. But I still think at a level of basic fundamental fairness, they need to give him one year in a helmet model that was not banned until they rushed last week to ban it, Chris. I know, but... Okay, but he was still being told before all of this that you have to get a new helmet. It doesn't matter. Okay, a new, uh, but but he could get a, a shut air. He didn't know that till last week, old. Mike. He had five months so before this to get his head wrapped around that I need a new helmet. He just well, found he out. Chose- but, but there's there's a difference between getting your head wrapped around needing a new helmet when it's not football season and actually going into football season with that new helmet. He, he had hope. And, and you know what? Shame on his representatives and shame on the <laughs> okay. Raiders for not recognizing that, you know what? Here's the easy way to solve the problem. Let's go find a shut air advantage yeah. that's less than 10 years old, people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it had to take one of our readers to figure it out when there are people who are getting paid <laughs> to give this guy advice. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an open. I mean, how think about this. How dysfunctional are the Raiders that no one there was able to realize, wait a minute, this helmet hasn't been banned. This model hasn't been banned. We just can't recertify it through Noxie because it's more than 10 years old. 
So let's go find one that's less than 10 years old. I mean, it, it, we're, we're talking about a minimal level of functioning brain here to realize this loophole. Uh, and of course, I, I, I didn't reach that, that level either, but it wasn't my job. It was the job of the Raiders, Drew Rosenhaus, the, the legal team that was assisting and, and aiding uh, Antonio Brown, and they all screwed up. Yeah. They all missed it. it, it they all surprising. blew it. Yes, it is. Yeah. You, you, and now the, NFL's, the, now the NFL's blown it by rushing to ban the helmet and not giving him a one-year grace period. I'd file the grievance yeah, if I were I Antonio you. Brown. I get you. I totally get you. All right. So, uh, bigger picture. To the extent that the Raiders are now exasperated with Antonio Brown to the point where Mike Mayock issues a lengthy statement where it's clear that they want him to, I guess for lack of a better term, shut or get off the pot. The uh, <laughs> who's to who's to blame in Oakland for the fact that they should have known, they knew or should have known what they were getting into with Antonio Brown. They rushed into it. They gave him thirty million guaranteed. What did they think was going to be different, Chris? And surely, if, if John Gruden calls Mike Tomlin, you think Mike Tomlin's going to lie to him about what a pain in the ass Antonio Brown has been? I don't think so, no. Who's Who's to blame for welcoming this guy with opening arms and, and you know, acting surprised that he's behaving this way? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think this is one that's got to go back to John Gruden. That's why his butt's on the line. That's why, you know, it's why I think we're seeing him not make the comments of yesterday that Mike Mayock made as far as drawing that line in the sand. Because he knows he's the reason Antonio Brown uh, is there. He wants Antonio Brown to be his new toy. And he's trying to play, as you said during the show today, he's good cop. So he can continue, continue to be good cop and keep Antonio Brown in good spirits. And, hey, the offense is around you. And I'm designing all these plays for you. And Mike Mayock can be bad cop and, and certainly say, no, this nonsense has to stop. Even though that's what John Gruden's saying as well. But he's going to let Mike Mayock say it and be the bad guy. And – you know, at the very least, I just hope this gives everybody a little sympathy to Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. That would be my big point here. I mean, everybody talked about lack of institutional control when it came to Antonio Brown and Mike Tomlin. And we're seeing right now that, man, there's not many institutions that can control this guy. It's just not that easy. Uh, he and, and he is a phenomenal football player. But, hey, I will defend Mike Tomlin in this aspect. He's not the GM. He didn't have final say on the roster. There was a true GM in Pittsburgh there. You know, here with Oakland, John Gruden, we know, has complete and total power. So I think that's where it has to start as far as, you know, at least we're going to hold somebody responsible. It's him. One of the things I poked around a little bit last week, but it was difficult because the Steelers organization was dealing with the untimely passing and unexpected passing of receivers coach Daryl Drake. I'm trying to figure out, and I was at the time, and it kind of faded off the radar screen as the story shifted and changed. But I'm going to double back on this. I'm curious did the Steelers know what was coming with this helmet issue? And did they realize, based upon their 10 years with Antonio Brown, this isn't going to end well. And we better just, you know, to the extent that there's a stew of factors that go into a decision like this, I can't help but wonder whether at some level they knew they're avoiding this potential Maybe, shut like, air advantage, yeah. shut storm that was we got we got we got a thousand of these puns. Well, my, but yeah, I, you know, yeah. did they did they know it and did they did they deliberately say 
we want to avoid this, and now they're sitting back saying, hey, the Raiders are dealing with what we were going to have to deal with if we hadn't traded it. That's a great question. I mean, it is. I would like to know the answer to that, too. I, I will say this. Just from people I've talked to around the league, I got a good feeling, though, that the Steelers knew before Antonio Brown had his meltdown late in the season, the rift between him and Ben Roethlisberger not showing up, I think they had a good inkling that Antonio Brown was about to stir the pot and that he was afraid that he might not see any more money in Pittsburgh and he was going to force himself out of town. Uh, I think they had at least a few warning signs, and I don't know if they were totally shocked by some of the antics Antonio Brown pulled at the end of the season and into the offseason to make sure that he got out of there. I'll, I'll, I have certainly been led to believe that. Well, he got what he wanted by way of a contract that carried $30 million fully guaranteed, but he isn't going to get any of it, and he's going to have to pay back the million that he already got in the form of a signing bonus if he doesn't just grab a different helmet and show up for work unless he's got something else up his sleeve right. that can work. And that only thing that I can envision is a grievance attacking the NFL's abrupt decision to test the shut air advantage to eliminate that as a an acceptable model that a player can use and not give him a one-year grace period to move forward in that helmet. All right, let's move on to Tennessee. There's been a lot of chatter about Ryan Tannehill possibly supplanting Marcus Mariota at some point as the starting quarterback. Ryan Tannehill recently said, essentially, that's news to me. He sees his role as the number two, and he's not aware of any competition, and maybe he's just not paying attention, Chris, because there's definitely a palpable feeling out there that Tannehill could put Marcus Mariota on a short leash going into the 2019 season. I, I, it seems that way. You're right. And just reading between the lines, the way Ryan Tannehill's played the first two weeks of the preseason. I mean, hey, there's a lot of questions surrounding Marcus Mariota. I do expect Marcus Mariota, unless he just went out there and threw like three interceptions this week in the preseason game number three in the first half, that he'll be the starter and he's going to be given every chance to be that guy and, you know, take it by the reins and run with it. But I, I do think that this is a situation where if things started off a little ugly and they're one and three, or maybe they're two and two, and they've somehow won two games and Mariota hasn't played well, that I think Ryan Tannehill is at least giving the coaching staff and the organization the confidence to go, hey, if it doesn't work out with Mariota, we got a guy here right now that's chomping at the bit. And you, you, you saw it. I saw it. I mean, he's made a number of great throws the last two weeks in these preseason games and certainly looks very comfortable in that offense. You know, it's, it's almost like what the Buccaneers had with Warwick Dunn and Mike Allstott, where ideally you have both guys, but it always seemed like one of them was banged up. Yeah. So the other one would yeah. carry a load, right? Right. Until the other one got healthy and then the other one would get banged yeah. up. I mean, yeah. I feel like with Mariota and Tannehill, all right, Mariota's a guy until he gets banged up. And <laughs> yeah. then he gets banged up, we put in Tannehill. And then when Tannehill gets banged up, Mariota will be ready to go. And really, you look at the two games last year where they had to go with Blaine Gabbert, especially week 17, a playoff play-in game, if you have a better backup there, Maybe you win that game and yeah. maybe you make it to the postseason. So right. I think there's some some method to the madness in Nashville. And even if Ryan Tannehill doesn't know it, his mere presence pushes Marcus Mariota like he's never been pushed during his NFL career. Okay, the NFL pushing for an 18-game regular season. The NFL Players Association, Chris, has done a great job to date of creating an impression that they're not interested under any set of circumstances in 18 regular season games. No way, no how. And I've previously said this sets the stage for the NFL to make them an offer they can't refuse. And right. for the first time, someone connected to NFLPA leadership has essentially acknowledged 
that there's an offer they can't refuse out there that maybe they would accept. Richard Sherman, the 49ers cornerback and a member of the NFLPA executive committee, talking to Peter King recently for the Football Morning in America Peter King podcast, he, he said that as it relates to an 18-game regular season, it's highly unlikely the the concession would have to be astronomical, which means there is something the NFL can do. Now, it would have to be astronomical, but for the first time, there's an acknowledgement that, that it is something that's negotiable. Even though they want a ton for it, it's no longer no way, no how. There is a way, there is a how, and it's going to be something huge for the NFLPA. And if they do that, if they make an offer they can't refuse, then an 18-game season is going to become a reality. The question is, yeah. will that best offer from the NFL be something the players say, yeah, okay, we'll take it? Yeah, it's interesting. And what is that offer that will make the players take it? Because, yeah, I don't, I, mean, I don't think the players want to do this, but certainly uh, – and, and, you know, this went to something we talked about in the spring, right? I mean, we had my dad on the show at one point because I think he felt through people he knew in the NFL that the NFL eventually was going to make the players an offer they couldn't refuse. What is that number for the NFLPA? Two extra games. Well, it can't just be the worth of two extra games as it stands right now. Those two extra games to get the players to agree might have to count as four extra games or six extra games because you are taking years of the career away from players within that. You're you're adding, you know, after after what is it, eight seasons of 18 games, you're adding another season to a guy's career, right? More opportunities late in the year when you're banged up and tired as is already to now get even more banged up or have another, for instance, of a career-ending injury. All of those things got to come into play that you have to make it really worthwhile for the player. And and uh, I would imagine it's going to take some type of offer like that from the NFL. And here's the problem in a salary-capped environment. NFLPA President Eric Winston has chimed in in this regard in the past. He has said that if you just increase the cap, then the star players are going to get all that extra money. They need to dramatically increase the minimum salaries as well yeah. to ensure that all players benefit from these two extra games. And you're right. It can't just be 17 uh, game checks turned into 19 game checks, and it's the same overall rate. That extra pay has got to be exponentially greater than the normal rate to get them to take it on. And, uh, you know, there's other things they're going to need to do. They're going to need to expand the rosters. There's going to be other and, – and, and if I'm the NFLPA, Chris, I, I, if they come to us and say, what do you want for 18 games, nothing. We're not doing 18 games. Now, if yeah. you want to make us an offer, right, then we'll consider it. But we're not going to negotiate here. If you make us an offer that we can't refuse, we won't refuse it. It's up to you to put together an offer we can't refuse. We're not going to engage you in this discussion right. because that's the problem. Once they engage them – 18 games becomes an inevitability. And this is the closest thing to engagement that we've seen. It'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. All right, last topic. And this gets back to replay review for pass interference. Chris, I don't know if you saw the play from the Rams-Cowboys game late in the fourth quarter Saturday night. There was a, a ruling on the field of no pass interference by offense or defense. Sean McVay, the Rams head coach, threw the flag. And the end result was a phantom defensive pass interference penalty after nearly four minutes of review presided over by Al River on some 5,000 miles away from Hawaii. Now, regardless of how we feel about 
Al Riveron's ability to properly, in real time, under that pressure of do it now, do it now. And I think all of us would make mistakes when expected to make a rational, reliable, correct decision in that moment where we feel like everyone's watching us and everyone is is doing this and, and singing the Jeopardy music. It's not easy to do. But be that as it may, right now, Chris, it dawned on me recently, Al Riveron is the most powerful person in football during the playing of games because yeah. he is the only person who can, for every game, grant or take away gigantic chunks of field position based upon pass interference calls and non-calls, specifically defensive. Or he can wipe out a 50-yard gain because he can say there was offensive pass interference. I mean, this guy has almost a god power over the NFL games, especially as it relates to pass interference, calls and non-calls. And I don't know that it's good for the NFL to have one person having that much power over its its on-field rules application. Yeah, let's start there. How is he going to do all this? How is it really? Like, I, I really do. I worry about this. You know, there's eight games at 1 o'clock in week one. And, you know, there's there's two other two other replay reviews going on, and all of a sudden two other other games – Pass interference is getting reviewed. I mean, I don't know. I just don't know how it's going to work. This review you're talking about in the Dallas Rams game, you mentioned it. It took four minutes. I mean, holy cow. What's he going to do if there's four other plays that need to be uh, replay reviewed during uh, a, a complicated type play like we saw in the Dallas-Los Angeles scenario? We're seeing the unintended consequences, too, here a little bit already, too, with illegal contact and pass interference. Ooh, was the ball in the air or not? Because illegal contact is when the quarterback still has the ball. That's not reviewable. This is going to piss fans off, too, because they're going to see illegal contact on plays now. And, and then – uh, a coach might think from the sideline, ooh, that was, a, you know, that was pass interference. And then in super slow motion, we're going to look at it. The ball might still be in the quarterback's hand. And now the unintended consequence might be, ooh, actually your own team, the guy that's challenging your own team had pass interference when the ball was in the air. So, no, you challenged it thinking you were going to win something, and, in fact, you're going to lose it now. I think it's going to make, like, uh, coaches kind of be careful a little bit about how often they throw this flag to a degree, too, to make sure they see the totality of some of these plays. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not liking this so far. I just fired off an email to Michael Signora of the NFL to find out, and, and it's more of a refresher. There are these little things that I learn about, and then you forget about them, and then you have to relearn them. There are other people in the room who will step in to handle replay review if Al Riveron is busy with one game, but you're, 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 then you're transferring that that God power to Russell yeah, who Yurk is that? or whoever yeah, else. Right. Yeah, and, 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 and it's always been one of the concerns when it comes to replay review at 345 Park Avenue, and I think it takes on an even greater importance when we begin reviewing subjective decisions. And, and I'm going to keep saying this every time the opportunity arises, Chris. There's a huge difference between did the guy get two feet in bounds before he stepped out with possession of the ball? Was his knee down before the ball came out? Those are things that we can look at and say objectively, yes or no, it happened. This whole idea of clear and obvious evidence of significant hindrance to the receiver, that is inherently subjective. And you slow it down and you frame by frame. And I don't know what the hell they're seeing. And for some of these calls we've seen, and the one on Saturday night was the most glaring. I don't know how you call the Cowboys defensive back for pass interference on a 10-yard curl route where the Rams receiver ran to the top of the route and shoved the defensive back to engage him so he could turn around and get separation. And the defensive back joined in that push. 
And then the defensive back gets flagged via replay review that's, after that's the fact. That's scary, right. And, and most of the contact happened before the ball was even thrown. Yes. Like you're saying, it's yeah. illegal contact before the ball is thrown. Right. So I, 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 I just, I, I really am concerned. And, and I really do think a lot of it comes down to the ability of Al Riveron or anyone. And maybe the answer is no one can do this. When you feel all, all that, that pressure, you know, the anxiety, the needles on the back of your neck and, and there are people standing around you and you got to make the decision quickly. And what do I really see here? And how am I going to and how many times do I have to look at it? I mean, it was three minutes and 40 seconds from the end of the play to the moment that referee John Hussey began to explain what the ruling was. That's an unacceptable delay. If it should take that long, it should never be overturned. Right. So would you feel I, I better? Just, would you feel better if like just I'm throwing for instance out there, but but, I mean, I would feel better if I knew, okay, Al Riveron's back there, who I know Al's got a tough job. I know we're being tough right here. But, it, uh, listen, Al, we know this is the real deal, Holyfield. Hey, but Chris, could you? Uh, he, got, he got thrust into a job that wasn't designed well, for him. Say. It was designed for Dean Blandino. That's what I was going to say. Would you feel better? This is where maybe the NFL needs to address this or go down here. Instead of just having one king, let's have three kings. I mean, I would feel better if it was Al Riveron, Mike Pereira, and Dean Blandino in the room. I really would. I would go, okay, here's three really smart football guys who understand the rules, and now maybe they can come to a consensus, and maybe that would take some of the doubt out of all of us, too, to just go, okay, here's three reasonable human beings who saw it this way. I mean, maybe something like that, because poor Al is in a really tough no-win situation right now where, I mean, my head would be popping off, I think, if I had to, to deal with officiating week one or a normal week in the NFL. What they need to do. And, and I know that this is going to require the, the swallowing of some pride, the suppression of some ego, and the expenditure of some money that the NFL would rather not spend. They need to call Dean Blandino, and they need to offer him between 5 and $10 million a year to come back and take that job over. Seriously. Period. That's what they need to do. That's what we're and saying. saying De Dean, we want 3% of that now that we're asking for 5 or 10 for you. 3%? Yes. <laughs> I want 10%, baby. <laughs> No, D Dean, come to me. Just then. build it I'll, into I'm the, the price. Deal. Give me three. I'll give him okay. you three <laughs> percent. You'll get your money's worth, Dean. You'll get your money's worth, baby. All right, but but that's what they need to do. And look, I'm I'm, I'm trying to be fair to Al. I'm trying to be fair to the NFL. Yeah. They, they they don't value the position. Dean Blandino has told me that. That is a very diplomatic way of saying they're cheap. Yeah. And it's amazing how much money they have and how many ways they will spend the money, but on certain things they won't. And, and this is now the most important and powerful job in the NFL. It's more powerful than the commissioner. And I'd rather have the commissioner handle the pass interference replay reviews. At least he's getting paid the money to deal with the pressure. I feel bad for Al. Yeah. I mean, th think of, think about how this wears on you and, no. and the dread. Every, can you imagine every Saturday night when Al Riveron goes to bed and he's thinking, oh, God, what's going to happen tomorrow during the 12 hours that probably doesn't I have to go sit to bed. there and, yeah. and, and wait for the next fire? Right. And am I going to get it right? Am I going to get it wrong? And what are buttholes like Florio going to say about me the next day? I wouldn't want that job. No. I mean, gosh, think how about he must feel for me. I got to deal with your buttholeness every day. All right, we should probably call it. It's a half hour. Not that they give us a time limit, but I'd say a half hour is probably as much as we can say. That's enough especially overtime. After we say, especially after we say butthole a few times. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's enough overtime on PFTOT. We don't have to do PFTOTOT. We'll just stick with PFTOT. Everybody, thanks for your time. Appreciate you sticking around and listening to the stuff we have to say. We'll be back Tuesday. A new Chris Sims on Button coming Tuesday. A PFTPM coming later today. And plenty of content around the clock at profootballtalk.com. See you Tuesday. Peace.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.